What are we waiting for? Joe? We're waiting for everybody. No, Jamie? everybody's waiting for me. I'm here. <laughs> the party can start. The world waits for Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many Joes it takes to screw in a light bulb? One. Exactly. <laughs> I just hold it up and the world revolves around me. <laughs> Boom. This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., Bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jammer. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 183 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Amy Knight. Hello. Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. Dave Smith. Yep. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick announcement, I have the page up for JS Remote Comp, so go check it out. This week, we're going to be talking about whether or not you need a college degree, and I think there's probably some nuance to this conversation, but I kind of want to go around the horn real quick and... See, just briefly, if you could say yes, no, or it depends, and you know, a brief statement of why, whether or not you think that somebody should get a college degree, maybe in computer science, if they're interested in being a programmer. Can we find out first who has a college degree on the panel? Sure. In general or in computer science? <laughs> if you okay. have a college degree, tell us what it's in. Campus wildlife. <laughs> <laughs> I want that degree. Do you feed the trash can cats? <laughs> <laughs> I could just see Dave Smith walking around uh, U of U campus or something with an Australian accent. Why? <laughs> Why Australian? A video, you know, taking video. Because of Steve Irwin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, said crocodile this is a very rare specimen. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. All right. Well, I, uh, so I can, no, I can yeah, start this no off. I, actually answered. <laughs> I have a bachelor's degree in computer engineering. Which we like to call remedial computer science. <laughs> it starts already. It's gonna be one of those. <laughs> I'm scared to know what's gonna happen when I say mine. Then. The, the, hard, the hardware is cool too. 
This is Joe. I do not have a degree of an, in anything. Jameson? Uh, I don't have a degree. I have two classes to finish a degree, and I've had those two classes for a few years now. <laughs> what were you majoring in? Is computer science. Computer okay. science with an emphasis in bioinformatics. You know what, Jameson? I took two mm-hmm. classes in your th- at the university, so you can tab- have mine. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Between the two of you, you have a college degree. Yeah. Isn't, isn't yeah. that what a transfer is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about you, Dave? Credits. I have a degree. I have a bachelor's degree in computer science. All right. And you, Amy? I have a bachelor's degree in mass comm, so useful, not. And the minor was in journalism. And then... I started to go back to school for physical therapy for like two years, but decided not to do that. And then I also started to go back to school for a bachelor's in IT and decided not to do that. So that's where I stand. All right. So wait, what was your degree in? What comm? Mass, mass communications. Like mass communications. Totally not useful. Oh, I thought you were saying mathematics communication, which also right. would be a really cool degree. And hey, wait a second. You are communicating to the masses right now. That's right. You are the only one with an appropriate degree. <laughs> or in my case, I'm a massive communicator. Like a, it is kind of a blend now. So, so, uh, so you got our history. You never got the answer from us, though. Okay. So oh, let's, like, do let, you need one? Let's go back around the horn. Yeah. Do you need a college degree? Dave, why don't you just tell Well, we us really what? really got to frame the context before I can answer okay. the question. Like for example, oh, you, this is way more Okay, than one so word. so this is it depends. Well, I mean, I was going to say that in the United States the answer may be very different than like in Germany, you know, and there's a lot more prospective computer programmers outside the US than in. I think most of us only really have context for inside the US. Uh, that's well, true. Why don't you answer it for both the US and Germany then? Oh, well, for Germany, you uh, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, man. I don't know I I don't know the answer to this question but I have a lot of really interesting data points that I'll share over the course of the next hour okay Joe what do you think no Jameson no with the big old asterisk next to it <laughs> Amy uh, I'm gonna say it depends as well yeah I'm I'm firmly in the it depends camp. I- I'd like to change my answer to a big old asterisk with a little no next to it. (laughs) (laughs) And I will say definitely depends on CS. I'm less so on it depends on just a degree in general, but still a little it depends. So let's talk briefly about what a degree gets you. I've known several people who had uh, computer science degrees or they went to a trade school and studied programming and it made a big difference in their ability to get a job. It made a big difference in their ability to move up in the companies that they worked in. And I've known other people that don't have degrees and seem to be doing just as well. So does it so, depend on the person? That is, It, it kind of seems like, to me at least, that's what it is, is what job do you want and who you are? I think a lot of it does depend on the person. I know I didn't program until I started going to college. So even though I don't have a degree, I don't think I would have a job <laughs> as a programmer if I didn't go to college and like almost get a degree. So I, I think you don't need it, but it sure can make something easier. There's this weird disconnect between, um, especially if, if you don't go to college, if you come into programming through a, a less like formal training route, like a boot camp or, or just teaching yourself, there's this weird disconnect between like, you know how to program and someone will hire you for your first job. I don't know how that ever happens. If you have a degree, there's this defined, or if you're in college, there's this defined pipeline to kind of shuffle you into jobs. And if you don't, it's a lot fuzzier. 
You mean like there's not like a super clear path for you to necessarily? Yeah, I mean you job? you can graduate from boot camp and then you kind of go interview. And if you don't get any of those first jobs, what do you? I don't know. What do you do? You just kind of keep interviewing and hope someone hires you. But it's not. There's not these. I mean, there are career fairs, but it's the people that come to the career fairs at school are conservative and they're they're kind of used to. They've been doing this for decades. They're kind of used to hiring new new graduates or, or students out of them and. Yeah, it's a lot messier in the boot camp or, or self-taught world. I think, not not worse in any way. Just like a lot of people are figuring out how to handle junior. How, how do we provide a good environment for junior developers? Is this a company where we can even hire junior developers and and not have them be miserable or or like quit because we expect them to know things they don't know? And I don't know. Yeah, I think the whole software development industry as a whole over the last five to 10 years has really undergone a big paradigm shift because for the first time in the industry, we're in a place where there aren't enough people to do the jobs we have. And so they're having to go to these alternative means for sourcing candidates to, to work for them. And they're having to make you know changes to their processes and their things that have been established as tradition for 30, 40 years. Like, for example, not necessarily sourcing 100% of your candidates from the local university. So one advantage, at least, to getting a degree is that you're in an environment that has sort of a pipeline set forward that the people who want to hire college graduates are going to come and pull people from that pool. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. And you're also in an environment where there are lots of people with part-time jobs, and those are kind of easy ways to get into programming jobs because they're used to hiring junior people or, or people that are less experienced. Yeah, and, can- and you're... You're a student, so like most students don't have as much responsibility as far as making money and supporting other people. And some some people have different circumstances, but you can kind of work these part-time jobs and get experience without needing to just immediately support yourself through a like a living wage, I guess. I can jump on that. I mean, when I worked or when I was attending the university here, I had a job doing IT and I helped administer or administrate or administration or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> administerize is the correct term. Gotcha. Uh, I, I administerized Linux servers and Windows servers at different points. I also did some netware work, but yeah, it was all s- sort of relevant. I didn't go directly into a programming job when I graduated, but yeah, I had plenty of experience that helped me move along in my career to where I wound up. I would like to actually hear from each of you how you got to uh, where you are today. And we've actually heard this a lot from Amy. Incidentally, you know, we uh, several times on the show, we've heard her story <laughs> over the last two or three years, which I love. It's an amazing story. And I think it's actually becoming more and more representative of developers and uh, the, the traditional classically trained computer science graduate is actually becoming, um, I would say, a minority among my peers and among the people I interact with. But like Joe, you know, like what was your track? How did you get to where you are today? Educationally only, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A bit of luck. Uh, I, unlike Jameson, programmed in my teen years. So I was lucky. I was working at a company that was doing some technical work. And I had just like a, I don't know, a light technical job. Like I wasn't even doing real technician stuff. And then one other manager needed a programmer really desperately and asked my manager and he said, I don't have a, one of my developers I could loan you, but I have a guy that's taken some classes because I'd taken high school and a couple of college classes. And so they like handed me the visual Fox pro books. And this is back in the days when you'd go down and when you bought a piece of software, you only bought it physically, right? There was no internet. 
and came, it came in a box. Yeah, it came in a box. We knew that when you said books. Box Pro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anybody who uh, recognizes that name will get a laugh, a kick out of it. Huge, these huge big books in a big box, and it was over a three day weekend. And he says, "If you can do this when you come back, then uh, I'll hire you to work for me." And it was supposed to be like a loan, but very quickly I became just a full time programmer for him. So there was definitely a lot of luck in me getting my first actual paying job, right place, right time. And how long ago was that, Joe? 96, just okay, cool. shy of 20 years. Oh, wow. 20 years of Visual Fox Pro, a career. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Is Visual Fox Pro a little bit like uh, VBA or Microsoft Access, in spirit at least? Probably closer to halfway between Access and uh, SQL Server. Okay. It's more like a full programming language than Access is. And it has a kind of a database, a more production-worthy database behind it, but it's not like a big full database like SQL Server. So it was in a very weird position. There was a bunch of languages that evolved from it. Totally interesting story. Not really, not germane. How long were you doing that before you moved on to your next thing? I don't know, year, two years. Then what? Three years, then VB. So yeah, you went straight from that to ES6, right? (laughs) 99 was VB. And then 2000 and 2001 was C Sharp. Whenever the first year that C Sharp came out, like we were using it in beta, we switched from VB to C Sharp, the shop I was at. You did that for quite a long time, really. Yeah, like almost like a nine, nine years, almost a decade. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jameson? What was your path? I took a computer science course my sophomore year of college. I liked it. I worked in a data entry job at this crappy tech company that kind of like preyed on students by promising students who wanted to work as programmers that they would be able to and then not letting them and just kind of (laughs) jangling in front of them forever. So I worked there for a while. And then after that, I became a webmaster at the computer science department, which is basically I just was a PHP developer on a Drupal site. Um, And then after that, I got my first what I would consider like real programming job off campus at this place called Spotter RF that makes radars, or they made radars. I don't really know if they're still around. You were working with AJ there, right? Yep. Yeah, that's where I met AJ. Yeah, so I took a class and liked it and then wanted to do it and was kind of like on the outside looking in, trying to figure out how I could get get into it for a while. So what what were you studying when you took that first computer science class? Nothing. (laughs) I was studying how do I figure out what to do with my life. So you were a full-time college student at that point? Yeah, I was a full-time college student. Yeah, I had a friend who just out of the blue was like, you might like this computer stuff. And so I took a class and I and I And this to, was how long ago? I don't know, six years ago, seven, six or seven years ago. It's not super long ago. Yeah, um, that's long ago. Yeah, I'm still pretty new to this whole thing. My most vivid memory of that class is sitting in the back, just staring at Java keywords and like not understanding what was going on at all. And then looking down to the front of the room, seeing this stupid kid just playing StarCraft because <laughs> he knew everything already. <laughs> sitting in the front row playing StarCraft. I don't in know why he didn't row? get the front row? Oh, man. Yeah. He probably couldn't test out of it. <laughs> That's yeah, that- yeah. sad. So did that like impact your decision as you were moving forward? Like did that discourage you? No, I was because I felt like by the time the second level classes came along, everyone was kind of equal. There were there were probably some still some kids that were still far ahead, but if you had just kind of messed around with computers a little bit your whole life, you probably still hadn't done much of the second level class stuff. 
So, so it, it kind of evened out. I just felt dumb for a while. And then I felt like everyone was equally inexperienced in what we were actually doing. So this is an interesting segue. And I know we're not finished with this conversation. I want to go around everybody. But I'd like to at least bridge this topic just for a short, quick second. And that is I've read studies about going to really high-end universities and how that's usually detrimental. And it's not a good idea to go to the best universities in whatever program you're interested in. And the reason being is that you have a much higher percentage chance of going there and feeling dumb in something that yeah. you love and then dropping out. Yeah, that and was so, in Malcolm Gladwell's new book, right? David? Yeah, Miller? that's right. It was. That's right. I forgot where I read that. So I think the same thing applies here. Whatever you do, it, whatever path you take, whether that's university, there are great low-level colleges out there, not the ones that, are, you know, the Caltechs or whatever that are out there that will teach you just as good a programming. I've never once, in 20 years, I've interviewed a lot of people. Never once have I cared what school they went to. Didn't give a crap. I cared how well they interviewed, you know, how well they solved problems and things like that. Never once give a crap as to which university went to. I don't care if they went to the MIT or the local community college. If they were a good programmer, they were, you know, a good programmer. So if you're looking at university, don't go to the most expensive, most prestigious university just because you feel like that's going to give you your best chance of getting in the industry. You know, unless you're an overachiever, an Evan Sublicky or somebody, and you're going to invent a new language during your undergraduate, but you don't feel like that's a requirement to getting into the industry because it's really not. Yeah, I've I found that uh, pedigree only matters if you're going into academia. You know, because then they can, well, he graduated from Stanford with a PhD and a QRST, and and he invented (laughs) six programming languages. (laughs) It is, and and now you are inadequate because you don't have it. Sorry, you missed it. I actually do have a QRST. I just forgot to put it on my LinkedIn profile. I'll go and update that now. I I did have a similar situation to Jameson. I took a class at the university. It was my psychic computer science class, and I thought I could skip the first two. It was this... This back day and age, it was 201 and 202, and I thought I could skip 201, and I took 202 and flunked out of it, and I felt really dumb. And it was a, you know, at a point where maybe I would have thought, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. But fortunately, I'd had a lot of successes earlier on where I felt really good and smart at, at programming, and so I kept with it. But those experiences where you feel like, oh, maybe I'm not cut out for that, you should ignore those experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, when, to a point. <laughs> <ring along there. laughs> Uh, ignore them longer than you think you should ignore them. One one wrinkle on the college selection thing, too, is there's a difference between a college that's prestigious because they're a great research institution and a college that is a good teaching school. Oh, that's um, true. Harvard is doesn't care about teaching. They care about being famous, and they're famous because they have famous professors who are famous because they publish a lot. And teaching is a burden to them. They do not want to teach Grad students teach at most colleges. And then there are some colleges where their focus is on teaching undergraduates. And they're very different experiences. And if you want to do research in academia and you love that kind of like life of the mind thing, then a, a research institution is great. If you just want to learn from people that really like teaching you and don't like resent you as time away from their actual job, and you, and you do want to go to college, then you probably want to look at teaching colleges. You can always go to a more prestigious university for your non your graduate level stuff and go. Yeah, that's that's almost yeah. a bigger deal than going there as an undergrad if right. you do want to do academia. Well, and I've known several people too that have gone to the community college, gotten an associate's degree in something related, and then they've transferred to the larger school and finished out a computer science or other degree. The other smaller schools 
also could potentially be a lot more up to date in the curriculum. Yeah. You know, so that matters too. So anyway, let's continue on around. How about you, Dave? Oh, okay. So uh, when I was 18 years old, the time came to leave the home and go to college because that's what you do. And so I did and enrolled in a four-year university uh, in the mechanical engineering program. It was a decent school and I absolutely, totally hated it. It was awful. I couldn't stand it. And uh, after a year, I left on a two-year church mission, which was a great time to reevaluate my life and think about what was important to me. And while I was there, I uh, got to work in the mission office for a little while, which, uh, of course, involved a little bit of computer work. And like surprisingly many developers today, I was exposed to Visual Basic. And <laughs> as much as we like to make fun of Microsoft, especially the Microsoft of the 90s, I really do believe ushered in a whole generation of developers who were able to get over that barrier to entry by just doing a little bit of Visual Basic. So when I came back, I decided to change my major to computer science after simply reviewing the list of courses you had to take. And I was like just super excited by all these different concepts, you know, data structures, databases, uh, AI, robotics, all these really cool topics that I was just super excited to learn about. Got in and just totally fell in love, head over heels. Two and a half years later, I had my four-year degree. So that was like, I guess I was about just a little bit shy of the four-year mark total. And it's just been great. So unfortunately for me, and, and I think Joe maybe has some experience with this too. Joe, you got your first job in the late 90s, right? So kind mm -hmm. of before the dot-com bubble, mm -hmm. or probably just before it. Yep. I got out of school right after the dot-com bubble burst, and it was just an absolute nightmare. I had... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I had my fresh computer science bachelor's degree in my hand, and I interviewed at like seven different companies, and I only got two of them to call me back. And the one that one of them that called me back, I was one of two hundred applicants for this position. <laughs> oh wow! Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, this is two thousand three, guys. This is not a long time ago. And uh, I made my way through the interview process a couple of different rounds, and there was like three of us that were going to be hired. And just by whatever lucky grace of who knows what, I got the job and started there and turned out to be not a job I enjoyed working at. We were working, doing some government contracts and it was Java and, you know, I just didn't really like it. But your first job never has to be great. I learned that through, from there is that yeah, even a crappy first job is a great job in the industry because you'll learn so much stuff, even if it's you're learning stuff that you hate. And so then I got a job a year and a half after that at a much better place where I worked for seven years writing C++ code that was just wonderful. I worked with some of the most amazing smart people ever. Um, but really for me, what came out of my college education was three things, I'd say. Number one was I learned how to learn for the first time in my life like under high pressure, high volume learning, which was really good. Number two, I got some really good computer science fundamentals, not to mention like life fundamentals, you know, time management, getting exposed to a broad array of other subjects like biology and history and things that I just had never gone that deep into. But number three, and maybe the most important thing, is some of my life's most cherished relationships were formed while I was in college and people I still keep in touch with to this day and even work with in some cases were relationships I formed while there. It's like, you know, when two of you are in like this fiery furnace of affliction together, it like forms a bond that sticks with you for life. And so to me, that's one of the most valuable things that came out of my four-year college education was these friendships that I have even today and just absolutely cherish. So that's, that's something I still don't know how to get anywhere else. That's a good point. I like that you brought that up. So it's Amy's turn, right? Uh, well, I thought we kind of already know my story, but <laughs> <laughs> you give us, give us a, give let me, let me tell your story as I remember it. So you were, you were <laughs> once upon a time the woods. Yeah. And you happened upon a magical frog that told you where the <laughs> secret cave with the mystical sword was. 
and you drew it and, and lightning next thing struck you know you were missing a kid inside the cave <laughs> and then you heard you are now a developer echo just the words echo throughout the cave and then that's how it happened right <laughs> it was funny. it was one of those native american indian sweat lodges right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are some nuances that I haven't completely talked about that I can talk about for like two minutes really quick. So like I had said, skating was really my life and my parents didn't really push college. Like they wanted me to go and just get that piece of paper, but no real reason to go. So that's why I did the degree I did. And then because the plan was just to continue coaching the rest of my life. But I was kind of, I married my husband and was just kind of searching for my next passion and I spent, like I was saying, some time going, taking the prerequisites and uh, starting PT program. And that's kind of what turned me on to like science in general. But once I got to the clinical portion, I like couldn't stand that portion. <laughs> so decided it wasn't for me. That's when I started looking a, lo- a long turn of events, but um, started exploring programming, like encouraged by some developers that I was working with. Um, then started the IT program, wasn't computer science. I just started with IT, but after doing that for like two semesters, just decided to go the boot camp route because it seemed like the overwhelming amount of advice I was getting was to do that. So like in a perfect world, I would have preferred to go Dave's route, but that's the route I took. It seems like a lot of it just depends on where you are in life. If you are mm-hmm. 17 yeah, definitely. and you have the means to go to college, I think oftentimes that's kind of a, you, you can do it without going to college at that age, but it, it feels like a more secure path. But if you're, if you're kind of working full time or you have to support a family or you have to pay rent or things like that, it, it can be hard to just check out of life for four years and go to school oh, again. Yeah, so true. And yep. not, not only that, but even if you are 17 or 18, you're considering college, you can really pay way too much money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, oh man, I, you know, I was so lucky, but the school I went to had a nice inexpensive tuition is a fantastic return on the investment. I didn't have to take out student loans. I was able to work my way through school and start yep. my job out of college without a pile of debt around my neck. Yep. I just, yep. if you're going to do college, that's one piece of advice I give everyone. Please don't go borrow a hundred grand to get a bachelor's degree in computer oh, science. Oh. Yes. Not Evans. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, that will have a pretty decent financial return, but that's still forever to pay that back. Yeah. I have to say though that, I mean, my college experience did, I don't know if I would have appreciated or gone the direction that I had if I hadn't gone through college. I mean, you know, I started out, I did electronics and stuff in high school and then so when I went to college, I, you know, I said, oh, I want to be an electrical engineering major. And after I started taking computer science classes that were prerequisites for my major, I realized that I wanted to do something with computers, but I still really liked the hardware and stuff. And so I switched over to computer engineering. And I also wound up working IT for the university. I mentioned that before. Yeah, me, yeah, me too. That's actually a really good opportunity universities provide. Yeah. And so, I mean, I had a lot of different options. And so... You know, as things went on, I actually got an internship writing patent applications, figured out pretty fast that I didn't want to be that kind of lawyer. I <laughs> Or any kind for that matter. Is you that know, true? I was on the, the student council for the engineering department, and I was on the ballroom dance team. And, 
you know, so I had these other things, you know, where I would explore other interests. And I just don't know that I would have had those opportunities if I hadn't gone to college. And so by the time I graduated, of course, uh, it took me six years to graduate because I goofed around until I got married and had a kid. And then it was like, crap, I got to get this thing done. You know, then it was like, okay, what do I really want to do? And that's when I started looking at, okay, where am I going to get a job? Where am I going to, you know, do all these things? And so I finished my degree. I, I think it helped me get my first job, but I don't think it was critical for me to get my first job out of college. And I actually wound up running a tech support department. I worked for them, or I worked there doing that for about a year and a half. And I picked up programming there as well. And up until then, programming, it just felt like a way to build little toy apps. And I didn't take it seriously. And then we actually built an app that solved a problem, namely managing hundreds and hundreds of requests for help with the product every day. And there was just no other way around it because they weren't going to buy us software to do that stuff. That's how, how I kind of got into programming. And then I worked QA for six months, and then I moved from QA into programming. And I think I've told this story before, so I'm kind of summarizing. But I worked for several companies and then went freelance about five years ago. And, you know, I, I think all of those experience kind of added up to, okay, I like this. I don't like this. I enjoy this. I don't enjoy that. I like this about this job. I don't like this about that job. And eventually, you know, led me to be where I am now. And I think college does provide you kind of a safe place to figure out, okay, I really don't like my mechanical engineering classes, or I really don't enjoy my whatever else, you know, I'm going to take some of these generals and figure out, okay, I don't want to be an English major, you know, so then you can kind of figure out, okay, this is where I want to be, and this is where I want to wind up, and then you can take the classes that are interesting to you. So I, I think there is that for college. Now, that being said, if somebody has a good deal of experience or something, I can also see where you might not need college. Yeah, so let me tell you a few stories about that. So I'm friends with a lot of accountants for whatever reason. I've never met an accountant without a college degree. In fact, all the accountants I know have master's degrees in accounting. Now, that's probably true for everybody here, right? I mean, of the accountants you know. <clears throat> but in our industry, I have worked with People with English majors, psychology majors, no degree at all. Uh, I've worked with one kid who's never even set foot in a school of any kind. Uh, he was 17 when we hired him. I've got another kid who's, who's 17 right now as well. He's getting a math degree. Lots of people who have no degree, a little bit of high school, all high school. Can I throw it's an like, anecdote in there? When yeah, I, sure. When I worked at the university in IT, we were supporting the servers that ran the web applications that were built by the programming team. And I kid you not, no less than half of that programming team had law degrees. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so... I don't know if I know of any other field that's considered like a, uh, I'll use the term white collar. I, I hope that's not offensive, but I don't know of any other field that's white collar like software development where you have this much educational diversity. You guys have the same experience? Yeah. I don't think I've had yeah. that much educational diversity, but I probably haven't asked too many times. Well, it usually shows up on somebody's resume, right? And so if you're hiring or, you know, reviewing somebody's background, yeah, I agree. I mean, I've seen people from just graduated from college all the way up to have been doing it 20 years and never did go to school, you know, to people that have been in it for a year or two, and a lot of them perform at the same level. The story I love is Katrina Owen. I don't, I know this is a JavaScript show, but I don't know how many people are familiar with her, but she has a really unique background. Tell, tell. I've, I've uh, seen some of her talks, but I don't know anything about her background. Chuck probably knows about her well, uh, pretty well, because I think she used to be a panelist on Ruby Rogues. But she was, but go ahead. I'll let you tell she it. She was in like the circus, wasn't she? Like She was an acrobat. Mm -hmm. Yep. And spent a lot of time doing that, and then discovered programming, and she's like incredible. An acrobat. Wow. Yeah. Yep. 
Like professionally I have an trained. Degree. What's yes. your degree in acrobatics? A classically <laughs> no, trained she, acrobat. She was. She went to a program for it. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Was so it in she, Russia? She probably more than anyone else qualifies the most as a ninja because a lot of those <laughs> skills are the same. So she can daughter. look at the billboards and honestly respond. I will apply for your job. Yes, I could. <laughs> I could do a backflip and kick you in the face. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really great. But that's yeah, great. just the there's so, so many different backgrounds. And there, there is in the boot camp I was in. It was interesting how many different people we had in there. We had an ex lawyer, you know, a lot of people mm. without college. Gosh, like everything, ex military. It's a great time, so, and there seems to be no correlation between one particular educational background and success as a software developer. But there is one common thread that I have found that runs through all of the most talented, successful, happy software developers. And that is you have this certain passion for creating things, and especially, you know, in a computer. So, like, you have this really – you just love it. And it's like if you're not thinking about anything else, your brain will wander toward this. You know, after you have some experience with it. And and that is what I tell people. Like, if you're going to do a boot camp or you're going to go to get a computer science degree or something like that, number one thing you need to figure out as soon as possible is, is this really your passion? Because that is where you will be successful and happy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Up until a couple of months ago, I really would beat myself up a lot about my degree. But I've worked with some other juniors and have talked to some other juniors who have more traditional backgrounds. And it's so, like you're saying, Dave, it's to me so much less about your education and more so about your drive. Like, I've just been very surprised to see people who I would expect them to, you know, have a little bit more knowledge, but kind of like their lack of drive kind of prevents them from advancing much as a junior. Yeah, we haven't mentioned that about college specifically. If you do college in general, you learn a lot of life skills and kind of time management, things like Dave said. If you do computer science in specific, you learn things, (laughs) but (laughs) very rarely do they apply to most of the day-to-day work you do. There's some good background information, but you can pick a lot of that up without needing to go to college. And there's a lot of stuff that, while I think it's fascinating and I'm glad I learned it, I, I have not yet built a compiler or used AI <laughs> or ever in any way had to analyze beyond like counting for loops, the big O of an algorithm or <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that you go Wait way in depth on. You don't know the big O analysis for every app you write? Come it's on. one. It's all one. Apps, I'm, apps don't have I'm that good. <laughs> yeah. See, and I, I've had a little bit of the opposite experience than Jameson here. And maybe this is because... It's confirmation bias on my part where I say, oh, I enjoy computer science theory. Therefore, I see it in my work every day, you know, as opposed to, I don't know, the opposite. But I see applications, maybe not every day, but often where I go, oh, I'm so glad I know that. And, and I have one really interesting anecdote about that. A good friend of mine was, had a computer science degree, worked for several years, and then decided to go back for a master's degree. And the reason he decided to go back is because he was really geeking out about programming language theory. And so, you know, he was the kind of guy that writes scheme for fun and just thought it was really cool. So he went back for his master's degree and it took him like six or seven years to get it. After he got it, he kept pointing out to me, he's like, hey, I just made a decision that I wouldn't have made if I hadn't gotten my master's degree. And it was like a very consequential 
decision about his code. And I was like, huh. And he, he kept pointing this out to me every, probably every week or two, he would point out these things. He's like, I never would have done this before my master's degree. And again, maybe it's confirmation bias. Like he spent a lot of money and time. So he's looking for opportunities to say it was valuable. Uh, but at the same time, it definitely influenced him. And, uh, you know, he, he to this day will say, I am definitely a different. And in his case, he says better engineer than I would have been had I not pursued, uh, more, you know, computer science theoretical education. Yeah. I, I think. Maybe I didn't make my point clearly enough. So I, I also have done kind of mostly web development stuff, which is I, I have not written a line of C++ code and been paid for it. So I think some of it you deal with different levels of abstraction than you different things. But also, I, I wasn't trying to say it's not useful. I was trying to say you can do a lot of stuff without needing to oh, know yeah. it. Yeah, totally. and, and the things that you actually need to know for your day-to-day work, you can pick up through other people that have been to CS degree or blog posts or things like that. There's there's a lot of resources yeah. out there. But yeah, I do I, think I agree. that yeah, it, it can make your life better. Yeah, you know. and it, and it's like a it's a it's one of those engineering trade-offs you have to make. You're like, is it worth 4 years of my time and a bunch of money to make me a incrementally better developer? You know, as opposed to 0 years of my time or maybe 6 months of my time and very little money to be like a uh, almost as good developer. You know, it, it's a, it's a really hard trade-offs to make, especially when you're outside the industry, I think. I guess the point I was trying to make, too, was, like, I totally agree that if you can get a computer science degree, then that is really optimal. But if you have a computer science degree, but you don't have the motivation to stay sharp and keep learning, then I think you may come out behind somebody who does not oh. have formal training because especially well it might not even be the case it depends on the field that you're working in but if you're working in web technologies if you don't have that drive then that computer science degree mm-hmm. how useful is it going to be i'm not sure yeah that's that a great so point true. Mm-hmm. so it's true. maybe like 10 percent helpful and effort is like nine percent oh, I don't yeah. know what the percentages are but yeah it, it is that. like that so when I at my last job I interviewed I can't remember the math I think I interviewed 400 500 candidates while I was there wow. in, se- in like seven years and we started to see patterns and one of the patterns we saw was that a master's degree in computer science would actually hurt most candidates and the reason was they would come to us and interview and we would expect them to be really good you know it's like you just spent six years at least studying mm-hmm. computer science. And so we would ask them like computer science questions. And it's almost like the extra two years had hurt them in many cases, as far as like being able to be a real practical, hands-on contributing member of our software development team for building products. And uh, it was just the strangest phenomenon, but we saw it time and time again. And not in all cases, but again, this goes back to the point, like there seems to be no correlation between your educational background and your, like the predictive power of your educational background and the success you'll have. I think Google actually wrote some stuff in a blog about this once where they did studies internally. And I don't think it was looking at specific schools. I think it was just GPA. And they found that GPA had no correlation on how well they performed Mm -hmm. at the company. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I would echo to some extent some of the concepts or things you talk about, about, especially Jameson, about a lot of the classic computer science stuff you don't use in typical business programming. You can, and there are opportunities for it. So I didn't get a degree in the first 15 or so years. I didn't know any of the classical computer science stuff. I mean, I I knew what a linked list was, et cetera. But then I wanted to get a job at Google. And 
their engineering, their software engineering interview is heavy on the classics of computer science. So I spent like three or 400 hours studying algorithms and data structures. And at the end of it, I did a lot better at my interview and I ended up not getting a job. But two or three years later, I've used that stuff so infrequently that I've lost a lot of what I had learned in that time frame. You mean you didn't rebalance an AVL tree in your Angular app? I didn't. Now, granted, the types of apps that I work on are not the types of apps. You know, the stuff that they work on at Google with (laughs) search and ads and stuff. Yeah, I I want them to know how to balance an AVL tree. (laughs) Yeah, they really need to know. But it's a lot more important as, as a typical business programmer to be able to prototype rapidly and write soft, you know, there is definitely a trade-off between performance and algorithms and readability. And sometimes it's a significant trade-off and sometimes it's a minor or nearly no trade-off. So a performant algorithm may not be any less readable than a non-performant one. But oftentimes performant ones can be. And you write apps where for the most part performance doesn't make sense and certainly optimizing prematurely is a bad idea. You know, I, I should dig up the old syllabuses from my old classes and go through oh, each man. concept and just put like a check mark next to the ones that I've used in the last five years. And then I, then I could actually like say definitively, like, I actually use this stuff or not, you know? Right. I think I that for, but for me, the most practically helpful things have been networking and operating systems because it's really nice yeah, to too. know how things kind of work under the layer of abstraction that you're working in. I remember programming before that and it's just this vague feeling of you're floating on a sea of magic. And I still, I mean, no one understands how their computer actually works. But the yeah, feeling like you can understand it is kind of powerful and, and feels cool. Yeah. Now, the, the other thing me... I got out of a degree, though, is the discipline. And we've talked about that before. So not everything you're going to get out of your degree is necessarily the concepts. Right. And uh, let me say that I do love data structures and algorithms. I find them fascinating. And I think it's something that people should know. But you, you, as a typical business programmer, you use it very infrequently. I think they are good things to know, but I just think you use them very infrequently. I started trying yeah. to write my own database a couple months ago. Just not, I mean, no one should ever use it and no one ever will. But I just wanted to know more about how they worked internally. And that was awesome. the first time in post-college life that I felt like, okay, yeah, I need to go Google B-trees again and, and figure out how these mm-hmm. things beyond objects and arrays work and how to write them and and stuff. And there are lots of people that do work like that, but I don't work with them. And and that's not the kind of work my job involves. Now, one thing that's interesting, though, is interviews typically involve solving some kind of a program, right? That's because interviews are the worst. Yes. Interviews are terrible. Most people interview terribly. And so in that case, you actually do need to know, uh, you know, data structures and algorithms in most cases when they give you the interview problem. Right. It actually matters. But then you get a job and they don't really care that you apply that same knowledge as you program. There's this hilarious webcomic where they have this interviewee going through this terrible, difficult programming challenge in the interview. And then Mm -hmm. it says, fast forward to day one on the job. Uh, Our designer designer wants this button five pixels to the left. (laughs) (laughs) So, so true. Yep. However, I will say that these interview questions, people do them and I, you know, I do them, I give them, I've received them. Sometimes it's not so much about do you already know how to rebalance a red black binary tree? The question is, 
are you willing to tackle a hard problem and ask good questions and explore problems collaboratively and work in it? And how do you think about problems? And Or do you just throw your arms up and say, I don't know how to do that, so I'm not going to do it. Or I would just Google how to do that. You know, it's like right. it, it tells you a lot about a person, even if you're not looking for the trivia knowledge memorization that they already right. have. You're looking if, for logical problem-solving skills. If that's kind of the goal, I wish that more interviewers stated that explicitly. Like, we're going to ask yeah. you these CS questions, they're, they're algorithms you might not know or you might, and and we're not interested to know if you have them memorized, but to yeah. see how you solve them. And I, I think I it really depends. Where they do that. I think it really depends, though, on the company and what they think they're looking for and how they want to evaluate that. I also, though, believe that most companies, when they're hiring, they aren't that explicit and they don't really think about that. They just think, I need another programmer. And so they don't really know what they're looking for. Or worse, for. they think, I need another Angular programmer. Right. right. So, so then <laughs> no, what I it comes to that. That, that, that. By the way, that's not a statement against Angular. That's just saying they're hiring for a very niche skill. Right. Yep. But ultimately, you know, then it's all the things that you said, Dave, about programming basically boil down to making me feel good about the way I did the interview rather than actually being deliberate about interviewing for the skills that I want. So... I wanted to ask Amy about her experience in interviewing. I think you've talked about this a couple of times, but it, it's kind of relevant to this, especially because so much of the interview pipeline is geared towards computer science degrees and knowledge like that. I mean, what was it like to interview without that? I don't know what to call it. Traditional background. <laughs> so as a junior, like there was such a vast difference in the interviews that I had. Some of them were like very lackadaisical and others were more intense in my opinion. So like the more intense one where I'm at now, the first was just like a phone screen and asking me not computer science stuff, but like the basics that you'd want someone to know, like, you know, MVC and REST and some JavaScript questions and that type of stuff. And then the in-person interview, again, like some because this was for a JavaScript position, like some kind of trick JavaScript questions, like the quirks of JavaScript. And then they had like an hour of problem solving. So it wasn't, I suppose if you had a computer science background that you could have talked through the problem using what you know from that. But like I talked through the problem just based on the experience I had. So I don't know. I kind of went into the interview with a very different mindset, though. Like, What do you mean? So I got into this field because I thought it was fun. And like I kind of went into the interview like I have nothing to lose. Like if mm. I don't make it in tech or if I don't make it in programming, then, oh, well, it wasn't for me. I'll go back to doing what I used to do. So I don't know. That's been just a really helpful. It's, it's a luxury that I have, I guess. Um, like, I'm just very blessed that I can approach most situations from that perspective. So I don't know. <laughs> back to like answering your question more specifically. Like, yeah, it, I, I suppose with the problem solving, it just would depend on your experience. But I just tackled it based on what I knew. So you brought up a point about privilege and how you kind of had this fallback plan. So it, it wasn't like your whole life was riding on it. I mean, obviously you would have been disappointed if it didn't work yeah. out, but I feel like that's kind of a theme in all of our stories. I think being able to go to college is definitely a privilege that not everyone has. Yeah, definitely. And finding programming young is a privilege that not everyone has. That depends on your parents or your peers and, and everyone has different environments. And then being, in a situation where you can afford to take time off, even to do a boot camp is a privilege. Yep. 
I mean, what, what do you do if you don't have the ability to go to college or maybe you're already working and you, and you can't take time off work? Does that just mean you can't really get into it or how do you get into the field if, if you don't have the opportunity or the ability to just change your life around, I guess, to, to focus it around learning this stuff? That's a, that's a really good, oh, do you want Amy to answer that? Sorry. No, I, don't want to answer that. I don't know the answer to that. I have just like advice I was given from that perspective, like, a lot of people encouraged me to go to the boot camp, but one developer in particular was just kind of explaining it to me like I was trading time for money and um, he totally thought that I could continue learning on my own. So, you know, I think it'll be a much slower process, but. Oh, was this before you were at the boot camp? He said that you could not do the boot camp and just spend more time, but save the money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I'd. I don't know. I would like to think that there's a lot of opportunities for scholarships out there and that sort of thing. Even for college, I had a scholarship for my undergrad, so you could hopefully look for opportunities like that. So, Jameson, I don't have the, an answer directly to your question, but I do have a comment on that, which is that we, you know, right now in the software development industry, we are absolutely starved for talent. Almost every tech company I know is trying to hire more people and mm-hmm. it's hard to come up with people. And to answer your question, all the people that are working in, are working in programming now, not all, I shouldn't say that, most of the people I know who are working in programming are coming from a background of a certain privilege. And I guarantee you there are millions of people who have the right aptitude and have the desire and could be very successful in this industry but just don't have access to it because they don't have the privilege. And I think you're totally right. I think there are tons of underrepresented people that just will never. And it's really sad. However, so that's kind of the downer. But the bright side is that I don't think in the history of humanity there has ever been an industry that had a as small of a barrier to entry as ours. You know, if I wanted to be a blacksmith 500 years ago, I would have had to sign my life away into an apprenticeship for years. And and that's been true of almost every industry ever. Um, but now you really can in off hours, assuming you're not like working three jobs to to take care of a family or something, which I know a lot of people are, you can do this. And so that's my one, I think, word of encouragement I would give to people who are wondering if they should get in. Try it because the barrier to entry is low. And as I've hopefully you've heard today, People come from all kinds of backgrounds and are able to be successful in this industry, you know, and, and so I'd say try it. But yeah, the bottom line is you're right. It's absolutely a point of privilege that we get to work in this industry and that we are given it basically on a silver platter. So you reminded me of a thing I wanted to bring up earlier when we were kind of comparing the things you learn from a CS degree specifically. What does it mean that I can spend thousands of dollars and for at least, depending on how fast I do my classes, years of my life going to school and get a job. And then someone else can study hard in their free time and go to a boot camp maybe in six months and then come out and get a similar job. I think a lot of times there's this defensiveness in people that have degrees because they invested so much time. If you can be as effective without one, why do you need one? Are you saying you are? Do you think you can't be as effective without one? And you yourself said you've worked with lots of people without degrees that are that are talented and pick up Wait, some of the concepts kind of on the side. Were you asking me that question? Yeah, when I said you yourself, I meant Dave yourself. <laughs> okay, Dave, Dave self. Okay, sorry, did I, I give the impression did. that I thought the college degree would be like make you more effective? I don't know. Maybe I implied that. I'm just thinking like if you can do it without a degree and with a degree, it seems like it's harder to get a degree. So why so, would you so why not? That? Yeah, it's, yeah, I, like there, you can't be a lawyer without getting a law degree, right? Um, right. You you brought that up earlier. So if there are these alternate paths in, 
what's the Why value you... of, of the hard or the more time-consuming path, maybe? I, I think another way to phrase this question is, under what circumstances does it make sense to get a degree over doing something else? Well, it's I've hard been... for me to answer that for generally because I just don't know. But I mean, for Dave, me, I really enjoyed it. But you've yeah, been yeah. teaching out at uh, Dev Mountain, right, Dave? Uh-huh. And Amy went to a boot camp, but I've been teaching at a local boot camp, right? And I know that the hiring rate of the graduates for these more average type boot camps is not like it is for Hack Reactor. And I would assume is also not much different than or much worse than hiring rates for computer science degrees. So I would think that would be one difference is the likelihood of landing a job is higher at this time yeah, with a computer science degree. I think that's a, the, a problem of just the shortness of your typical boot camps. Three months is just a bit too short other than for the really top achievers under your belt to get a job. But well, I think that university degrees are far too long. We hired a lot. When I was at a place where we hired a lot of brand new developers, we hired a lot from a place called Newmont, which had an 18-month program. Mm -hmm. It was eight hours a day. And we loved those guys because they did real projects. It wasn't like a CS degree where the only time that – somebody with a CS degree is going to come out knowing Angular is if they were doing it on their own, you know, in this day and age, for example, and if that's what I'm hiring for. Again, you shouldn't just hire for a very niche skill. You should hire a good developer. But that being said, relevant skills matter, especially when trying to land a job. And so we loved hiring guys from this 18-month pro program. Chuck, you were going to say something? Yeah, well, the other thing is, is he, you know, uh, Joe said top achievers, and it's the top achievers who can sell themselves well enough for people to want to hire them. Right. So it's it's not even necessarily just skill level, but they have to be able to convince somebody that they can get in and solve enough of the right problems to be worth paying. Right. So I think for so, top achievers, it's not nearly as big of a difference. So, Jameson, going back to your question, it was directed at me. Um, oh, the, the question wasn't specifically directed at you. The part about how you've worked with people that you said didn't have degrees that were great, that was what I meant was directed at you. Oh, the okay. question was... But now that you're on the spot... Everyone. No, sorry. I'm just a little hot under the collar, I guess. I don't know. Oh, no, yeah, no, no. No, no sorry. No, but uh, I do believe this is a very personal decision. And like when it comes to the uh, university life, like for me, when I went to college, I was thinking about a job after college a lot. But it's so long and such an investment emotionally and time-wise that like it sort of became its own reward for me, at least. You know, I really enjoyed it. I derived a lot of satisfaction from the classes I took, and, you know, exams kind of sucked a lot of times. But, but I think at the end of the day, I was super satisfied with my experience, and I really enjoyed it. I really wouldn't trade it. But if I was advising someone who had the objective of getting into the industry and getting a job, the return on investment seems a lot lower with the university track than it does with almost any other track. Okay, I have a question that is directed at you. You mentioned that you graduated in the the end of or after the bubble burst. I mean, yeah. I don't know if we're in a bubble right now, but it's definitely <laughs> a, a uniquely oh, yeah. rewarding time to be a software developer. I've been calling it the golden age. Yeah, yeah. So do you think if circumstances change, the, the answer will change, that it will be more like or more mm. valuable to get a degree again? That's like... My dad oh. arguing with me about going back to those classes, coming out on this question. Yeah, I like don't. it's fine now, but what happens in ten years? And you know, uh, I had college professors that would say things. In fact, it was the weirdest thing. But every class seemed to want to dedicate one lecture to convincing you to go to grad school. So <laughs> every class, they would spend an hour and just say you should. And some of the statistics they would cite were things like, over the course of a career, a master's degree holding developer will make a million dollars more. 
than a bachelor's degree holder, you know, and, and just absolute crap statistics that I'm sure are just totally bogus today. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, the answer that maybe your dad wants to say is, well, as soon as this bubble bursts, everyone who doesn't have a computer science degree is going to be laid off, you know, and I just don't know. And I, I actually highly doubt it because I can't, the last time I looked at someone's education section on their resume, once they have a few years of experience, I, I just don't do it. I don't look at GPA. I don't look at the name of the school you went to. I don't look at the degree you went to. In fact, I was surprised to find in several occasions after I had hired someone that I had just hired an English major. And I'm like, I made fun of English majors for my whole college career. And here I am hiring them without even knowing it. Well, at so, least they weren't a mass communications major. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I know, right? Hey. <laughs> I mean, I just can't imagine a world where it is so binary and so like black and white that you could say, well, too bad you don't have that CS degree. You're going to get laid off with all the other suckers. Well, the mm-hmm. other thing is, is like the, I've heard the same statistic that, you know, a certain uh, people with a certain level of education are going to make a million dollars more over the life of their career. But we're talking about like a 30 or 40 year career. I mean, how much does that really boil down to in a year? And the other thing is, is that most programmers it's, I know. It's $33,000 a year, by the way. Oh, really? Well, there's no oh, way that's true. <laughs> there's no way that's true. Yeah. But the other thing yeah, is, know, is that if you really look at, you know, what, what, what does that really mean? I mean, what does that translate to in lifestyle? You know, most programmers I know make enough to pay all the bills and live comfortably. So for a lot of people I know, the extra money isn't going to make that big a difference. It's so way the, more the lifestyle thing is like also, how much worse is your lifestyle as a grad student when you make zero money and you work 80 (laughs) hours a week in a lab? I don't know anything about, I'm Googling it right now, furiously. I don't know anything about the trade-offs of pay for advanced degrees, but I know that just a job in the industry versus a job as a grad student, it's not even close. Yeah. Yeah, Well, and if you get a grad degree, if it takes you two years, that's two less years of your life you will work. So that's two years of your top earning potential that you will not work. Yeah, it seems like the yeah. economic argument is kind of missing the point of graduate school. I don't think you go to graduate school because you're going right. to make more money. It's way more bucks. important. But I think a lot of people do and did. And that's why when I interviewed them at my last job, I was always, almost always disappointed because I swear they went because they wanted to make more money, not because they were passionate about the field. Mm, yeah. I think it's way, if you're talking about money, it's way more important to be ambitious. That's far more important than how many what school you went to or how many years of school you went to. It's just way more important to be ambitious, to be passionate and to spend a lot of time and energy doing it and care about what you're doing. And looking for the opportunities. Yep. Being being entrepreneurial is probably more of a financial win than anything else we've talked about. Yeah. Can can I throw in one more just kind of weird point to stir the pot? (laughs) (laughs) So I think the general conclusion from our discussion today has been that it's really hard to justify a four-year degree if you're only measuring the return on your professional life's, you know, finances. However, I will say this. Some of these like top tier schools produce some of the most amazing and smart people I have ever met. And I don't meet them very often because for whatever reason, the circles I run in don't tend to have Ivy League graduates in them. But I have worked closely with two MIT grads and I've communicated with one other just casually. And they this, I know this is anecdotal, but they blow me away with their intelligence. I mean, it's just off the charts smart. I'll say something and then they'll say something and I'm just like, holy crap, you are like a godlike programmer. It's just incredible. And so <laughs> on the one hand, it's hard to justify that kind of expense. But on the other hand, if you want to rub shoulders with some of the world's literally most intelligent people, 
you will find them in these Ivy League schools. You, you know, so if that's your objective and you're willing to spend the money for it or you have a rich papa, that's a good <laughs> way to get it, I think. Yeah, but how many guys went to MIT? You know, your statistics are... I said it was anecdotal. <laughs> right. How many people went to MIT and were very average? Like uh, Evan Sublicki, who invented Elm, right? He went to Harvard, obviously a top-notch school, right? And there's a lot of Harvard graduates over working at Google. But there's a lot of non-Harvard graduates working at Google, too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you are a top achiever, then that can really make sense. And that's really where we get languages like Elm. You know, nobody went to a community college and, well, I don't know about nobody. Hmm. I guess that's <laughs> probably not fair. Hmm. This, is, this is actually one great thing about the industry, so I'm completely backtracking here. The computer science and astronomy, I've heard, are the only two industries where a guy in his garage can make a significant <laughs> contribution to the industry. <laughs> the garage contributor. Yeah. yeah, although I guess with astronomy it would be your backyard, but nonetheless, right? <laughs> you know, you can find – anybody can find a meteor. It could be the first person to discover a meteor, right, and get it named after him and make a big deal. Anybody – we've seen some of the most amazing things come from the brain of one guy working on his own over a time period, you know, and some of that is academically – like, again, Elm is a great example of that. One guy did it. Or it can be just a matter of work, like Egghead I.O. was purely a matter of John Lindquist putting in time and effort for a while, and now we have Egghead I.O. So you, you said one guy did Elm. I think you're discounting the support structure that he had because he was at a university. I mean, he was working with professors as advisors. He was like in a place where he had time to research all this stuff. I, I don't know that if he was just off in the desert by himself, pondering that he would have been able to come up with all these ideas by himself. I assumed he was sitting in a yoga position on a mountaintop, but I'm, again. <laughs> Evan in no, the that's wilderness. A good point. That's a great point, Jameson. So maybe that's not necessarily by itself the best example. But And same thing with John Lindquist at that I.O. He had a lot of support for the Angular team and stuff. Yeah. But nonetheless, I mean, really, this is entirely different than trying to invent, like, you can't invent a nuclear bomb in your, you know, or, or that. This is, You can yeah. make significant contributions to this to the industry. You can, but there are contributions that do require a lot of professional training that you can probably only find in an academic environment, right? Well, now you're talking training. I'm just saying a guy on his own. And again, you can get all that academic training without academia. You know, I learned data structures and algorithms without ever attending a class. And I certainly took the equivalent of many credits of uh, class, university level classes. Just finding my own training online so and doing my own training. But it's just I just think it's a really cool industry because you can make significant contributions to it. You know, the, the guys who wrote jQuery, for example, changed the face of the web, and there's a few guys. Yep. Yep. All right, well, I think it's probably time to start winding this down. Okay, but uh, we got to answer the question. Yeah, so overall, uh, I'm going to ask again, where do you come down with whether or not you need a degree or whether or not you should go to college, I think is a better question. Dave? So what was the question again? <laughs> so should you go to college to get a computer science degree? I don't know. Should I go to college to get a computer science degree at age 36? No. But should I have at age 17? Yes. Okay. Joe? I'm going to go with the uh, no with an asterisk. And what's your asterisk? I'm just curious. The ask- I think the asterisk is how self-motivated and high-achieving are you yourself? I mean, how like absorbed. When I first learned programming in high school... I fell in love with it. I did it every spare moment I could get. I, When I served my religious mission where I did not have a computer, I programmed on paper and taught myself C++ and object-oriented programming on paper So, because I loved it. 
and I wanted to do it in my spare time. So if you're that kind of person, wow. no, you don't need a degree. If you yeah. thought linker errors were hard in a computer, try solving them on paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was programming on paper. So if you're that kind of person where you just love it, you don't need the degree. If you're shy of that, it's pro- it potentially it's a really good idea. All right. What do you think, Amy? Yeah. So I'm the big depends. Again, I can't give an answer. I think for me, the things that it would depend on would be your personality, your financial situation. Those would be the biggest factors. If you have the finances, I think you should go. If you're not of the personality that you're extremely self-motivated, then you should go. If you, on the other hand, then you can totally do it yourself, I think. All right. What about you, Jameson? Uh, I wouldn't be a developer without going to school and I, I loved it. So I think my answer is kind of like Dave's for me. Yes. I I had to go at 18 years of age. I was not motivated to do anything in life besides wakeboard. Um, and, and I wasn't good (laughs) enough to make money on that. So I, my goal in life really was to like be a bum, but I have seen people be successful without it. So I guess that's the shrug ASCII art thing. In Slack, Slack shrug. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, I, I don't know. You can do it without it. It can be great if you do it. I'm kind of on the same page with the rest of you. The thing that I'm seeing is that if you don't already have that drive, that fire in your belly, and you've been doing some development or you know been playing with it, and you're thinking about it as a career, then go to college and figure that out. You know, go to college, take some classes, you know, get some real, you know, development assignments under your belt and figure that out. But if you're out there and you're fired up and you're, you're kind of driving it on your own and you're contributing to open source and you can, you know, you can kind of make it happen by yourself, then go out there, build a couple sample apps, show them to some potential employers and get a job. I'm not 100% convinced that either way is the right way for any large subset of the population. I think you kind of have to gauge that for yourself. But if you don't have that drive on your own right now, I think then getting a college degree is a good way to figure out whether or not you're cut out to enjoy a career in programming. I think I want to be careful, too, to not make it sound like an insult or a character flaw to not have the drive to sit down with a piece of paper and write out C++ code. I think that's kind of the exception. And yeah. there are a lot of people... It might actually that, be a flaw to, if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there, there are a lot of people that do great work and, and are passionate about things besides programming, but are still competent and successful developers. I, I don't... Yeah, sure. I, I worry about the dogma of yeah passion. You know, passion like the, is like... Or like the geek worship culture. Yeah, yeah. I, I have passion for my family. And sometimes I have passion for programming, but sometimes I don't. But I enjoy it. And I don't think everyone has to fit the cookie cutter model of like slamming Mountain Dew till 4 a.m. while you <laughs> write out your ray tracer, bro. And I don't know, there's room for a lot of different styles and, and interests in programming. Absolutely. That oh, has yeah. really happened a lot over the last five, ten years, too. Yeah, yeah. I just I guess what I'm trying to say, though, is that I mean, I didn't get my passion for programming until after I had graduated. I had a degree in computer engineering. I was doing tech support over the phone and running a tech support department. And that's when I found it. And, uh, you know, if you're not fired up about it, you're not going to go out there and learn about it. And so then if you put yourself in a position where you have to learn about it or flunk out, then that, that may be a healthy way to do it. And it's, 
to that same point, it's the best programmers are not the guys. It, there's not a correlation between what the best programmer is and the guy that stays up all night slamming right. things or that wants to program on paper, right? Programming is not <laughs> – you cannot measure it on one dimension. Some of the people that are some of the best programmers are the guys that don't know a lot of data structures and algorithms and don't go home and program, but they get stuff done and they do it on time and they write clean code that's easily readable and they work well on a team and they see problems successfully and they know how to deal with the personalities that go on on a team. There's so many varied aspects. You really need everything and there's not one dimension and so – it really has nothing to do with your effectiveness or the need for the industry for you to become a programmer. Yeah. The other thing is, is we've only been talking on the axis of technical skills, you know, that you pick up as part of your degree. We haven't even talked about, you know, communication or teamwork or any of the other skills that you need. And sometimes somebody just being there and kind of being the glue or being the hub that makes everything else turn well makes them a valuable programmer, even if they're not the top-end technical skill on the team. Or like me, I'm the guy who just makes other people feel good that they're not this crappy. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am the warning. 1X to make the 10X look bad. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't have the 10X without me. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right, should we get to some picks? Yeah. Before we get to the picks, uh, we're going to give a quick mention to our silver sponsors. This episode is sponsored by TrackJS. Let's face it, errors cost you money. You lose customers, server resources, and time to them. Wouldn't it be nice if someone told you how and when they happened so you could fix them before they cost you big time? You may have this on your backend application code, but what about your front-end JavaScript? It's time to check out TrackJS. It tracks errors and usage and helps you find bugs before your customers even report them. Go check them out at trackjs.com slash jsjabber. This episode is sponsored by CodeSchool. CodeSchool is an online learning destination for existing and aspiring developers that teach us through entertaining content. They provide immersive video lessons with in-browser challenges, which means that each course has a unique theme and storyline and feels much more like a game. Whether you've been programming for a long time or have only just begun, CodeSchool has something for everyone. You can master Ruby on Rails or JavaScript, as well as Git, HTML, CSS, and iOS. And more than a million people around the world use CodeSchool to improve their development skills by learning or doing. You can sign up at CodeSchool.com slash JavaScriptJabber. All right. Jameson, do you have any picks for us? <laughs> I sure do. Uh, I have two picks. My first pick is this blog post that just popped up called The More Things Change, and it's talking about React and Flux. And I, I love this idea of pendulums in technology and things going out of fashion and then coming back in fashion in a slightly different style. I think it's kind of fascinating. This is comparing the Flux architecture in React to this Windows programming model that people used when, I don't know, before I was born. Uh, so I'm definitely not familiar with it, but it's really interesting to hear this experienced person talk about how the the concepts behind Flux have been explored before. And he points out some of the problems that you might encounter in the future that he encountered in the past using this same pattern. Oh, this I is so was, cool. That was really cool. This yeah. is the coolest thing ever. Jameson, I'm so glad you were on. Oh, why thanks, Joe. Till just now, I, just now, finally, I'm glad. It Before, paid off. not so much. That's right. We always wondered about you episodes. since you didn't have a degree. Yeah. <laughs> 183 episodes. Finally, finally, I'm in like the black, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yes. <laughs> well said. And then my next pick is another, I think it's a write-up of a PyCon keynote or something. It's by a woman named Allison Captor. I don't know how to say her last name. 
but she, she works at Dropbox and worked at the Recurse Center before that. And she talks about the model of how to learn and the difference between growth mindset and fixed mindset in regards to your ideas about intelligence. Um, the growth mindset is your intelligence can be influenced by your effort. Basically, you can learn things and improve your intelligence by working harder. And the fixed mindset is you're just born with it and that's how it is. And she goes through a bunch of research and experiments demonstrating that people's performance changes dramatically on difficult tasks, depending on whether they think that hard work can make them smarter, basically. And then she kind of applies it to programming and, and how we should have growth mindsets about programming concepts and skills and, and social skills and just any skill, how that can lead us to look for ways to improve instead of just say, I'm bad at CSS, which is a phrase I've uttered many times that I don't know, it, it, it was a really good read. And it has stuck in my brain in a way that few things have before. That's Those are interesting. my picks. I've said many times that Jameson is bad at CSS. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's it is known, but it's not. It's not fixed. I can get better at CSS, Joe. All right, Joe. What are your picks? Oh, I've got so many. So I think this is fairly apropos for this episode. I want to pick Amy Knight. What? Yeah, I'm going to pick Amy <laughs> Knight because this is why. All right, Amy was doing something entirely different. And then went to a boot camp and then got in the industry and she is successful at what she's doing already. And I think that that is a great example for everybody. If you are doing something that you don't love and you want to do something else and you find out or you think that maybe programming you might love, then go and do it. Because if Amy can do it, you can do it. And Thanks. she's a great example of just following where life leads you. And I think that's really awesome. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Because I'm sitting here like, oh, God, I should quit my job and go get a computer <laughs> right now. No joke. No Seriously? joke. Like, you were actually thinking that after this conversation? I really am. Like, Oh, Amy. <laughs> I'll just rehash the whole conversation, so I'll be quiet now. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. <laughs> it just seemed like we made such an opposite conclusion oh, as no, a group. But it's, uh, yeah. It's, so that's one thing we didn't get to is like when you don't have that for some people, they might still feel inadequate, but whatever. I'll be quiet now. <laughs> All right. My second and final pick is uh, Star Wars Battlefront. They just had the beta of this last weekend, and I played a fair amount of it. And I'm really excited for it. it. comes out in like a month or something. So super excited for it. I was playing on the PC, but it's also on the consoles. So it looks like a really fun multiplayer and single-player game. Very excited. Star Wars. Gotta love it. Man, I kind of want to dig into this now with Amy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a popular, popular topic. I keep saying, like, maybe in two years or something, I will quit my job and go back to school. But we'll see. I love school, too. Like, I just love learning. So, mm -hmm. anyways. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not convinced that. Hey, so episode's over, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you had your chance. I know. I, know. I, know. I, I feel the way Amy feels. I've always wanted to go back and get a degree, but really, is for my own edification. I right. don't feel like it will make me make, make yeah. more money or anything. Just I think it would be fun. That's and fair. I never got the college experience. That's it, fair. It's my curiosity, Joe. I hate to break it to you, but if you go back right now, you would 
miss some parts of the college experience. <laughs> no, one part family, you'll get. They'll make wife, fun of him pretty kids. good. <laughs> well, the one part that I want to have is like being surrounded by people in an academic environment. No. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I don't care, care about the You don't care about putting on a backwards baseball hat to cover your bald spot. <laughs> and, and saying, What's up, fellow All right. kids? <laughs> All right. Any, anyway, on to uh, Joe's first pick. If you want to emulate Amy, then pick what she picks. What are your picks, Amy? Uh, okay. So yeah, this, okay, good. I'm glad that you said that because my first pick is really awesome. It's not programming, but I want to pick something called amazing grass and hear me out before your mind goes in the gutter. It's not what you think. It is, it's like this green drink that you can mix up with your juice or something. And like, I haven't been sick to the doctor in probably a year and a half ever since I started taking that stuff. So with allergy seasons and fall and whatever, go check this stuff out. So that's my first non-programming related pick. And my second pick, I was doing a lot of Angular 1, and I enjoyed a short blog post this week on, uh, I think it was someone from PayPal, and he talked about um, some of the refactorings that they did on their Angular 1 app to prep for Angular 2. So it's a short read, and I thought it was pretty good. So that's my second pick. All right. Dave, did we get your picks? Not yet, but I'd be happy to share them with you now. So uh, my first pick is an XKCD comic from a long time ago. I actually can't tell when it was published because I don't think he shows dates on here. But anyway, the uh, the comic is this conversation happening between two people where one says, I used to think correlation implied causation. And then I took a statistics class and now I don't. And the other person says, oh, it sounds like the class helped. And the other guy says, maybe. Anyway, I thought that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, my other picks... Today are um, the city of Lviv, Ukraine, which was a beautiful city where I learned that when a person from Ukraine says two things, to believe them. The first one is, it's going to be cold today. If a Ukrainian says that to you, believe it. And the second one is, if they say, this is really old, also believe it. This is a city where a 100-year-old building is young. And it's a beautiful, gorgeous city full of amazing, cool people. Those are my picks for you today. All right. Um, I've got a couple of picks. The first pick I have, I've been doing periscopes, which are uh, they're kind of live broadcast videos. Uh, you get to see my face talking to my phone. And uh, I've just been talking about stuff. It's kind of a video journal, things I'm thinking about, stuff like that. And so uh, if you're interested in any of that, you can go to charlesmaxwood.com. I've got what, like five videos up or something as we're recording this. So it'll be more by the time this goes live because I've been doing it every morning at 9.30 a.m. Mountain Time. So if you get on Periscope and you follow me and then you want to follow up with that, uh, you can do that at 9.30 a.m. Mountain Time. I'll put a link to every time zone that shows you what time that is in your time. But anyway, that's that's something I've really been enjoying. And for me, it's just a way to kind of think out loud and other people seem to like hearing me think out loud. So that's kind of that. The other pick I have, I just read a book called The Positioning Manual by Philip Morgan, and uh, I highly, highly recommend it. If you're freelance, then it's essential reading. If you're not, then I still recommend it just in the sense that it is about positioning for technical firms. So it, it really is essential for freelancers figuring out who they're going to serve and how they're going to serve them. But... I think it behooves everybody to figure out, you know, where you want to work, what kind of problems you want to solve, who you want to solve them for, and what kind of job you want to have. So I, I recommend it to, to just about anybody who's trying to make a career change or figure out maybe a different 
uh, vertical or a different group of people that you want to uh, do work for. So anyway, those are my picks. And I also want to remind you to go check out JS RemoteConf. That's jsremoteconf.com. I am just starting to pull together speakers. The call for proposals is open until December 14th mainly just because that's my birthday and it was a date that kind of came to mind when I was looking for dates. <laughs> that's such a good way to do it. I that's right. That. And the early bird also ends on December 14th. I'm hoping to have the schedule up way before then, but my wife and I are having a baby somewhere between now and then, and so it may or may not get pushed back just a little bit. So anyway, uh, jsremoteconf.com, go sign up. If you're interested at all in how thing how it all works, you know, you can ask me or ask anyone who's gone to Angular Remote Conf or went to JS Remote Conf last year and find out what they thought, or last year being this year, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it'll be in January. It's the 14th through the 16th. Like I said, you can find it at jsremoteconf.com. And, uh, yeah, we'll wrap up. Thanks for uh, all the amazing discussions, guys. And uh, we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. <laughs>